0: with insights and analysis of today's rapidly shifting world.
1: I am the Welcome to the U.S. Patriot Show. Hard to,
2: hard
1: to with talk radio's premier U.S. activist, Cindy Gross, featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. You don't have to be Jewish to be part of our show. And now, your U.S. Patriot, Cindy Gross.
0: Hello and welcome to the Jewess Patriot. I am your host, Cindy Gross. I am proud to be today's premier Jewish woman activist on mainstream media across the country and downloaded internationally on every major possible outlet available, video and audio. We have a huge show tonight, probably a word that's used most on all uh, kinds of TV shows, whether they're from the left or the right, that word is education. So we're going to open up with our pearls of wisdom about education because I am Zisel Peril, sweet pearl in Yiddish. And I have to tell you, education today is everything but sweet. It's Black History Month. you think that with all the Progress blacks have made in America and around the world they'd be celebrating and their successes, their abilities to have jobs, make money, have fame, have freedoms to choose things they want to say and do, and yet, New York just had a published report that states. Black families are leaving New York in record numbers. The black population of New York has declined by nearly 200,000 people in about the past two decades, or about 9%. With black mayors throughout New York, including New York City, with a black district attorney who is the leader of this cashless bail reform, with black leadership of both parties of Albany in their state assembly and in their state senate, you would think that New York would have absolutely the greatest number of influxes of legal black middle-class people, and yet they're the ones that are running away the most. I'll tell you why. I'm going to say education. Look at my lawsuit. A black principal was allowed to keep a job after stealing and pleading guilty, making a plea deal that she stole from one government agency, the housing authority. She was able to keep her job in another government agency. A black assistant principal was allowed to keep a job after being the immediate supervisor of a black teacher who was found guilty of accosting and abusing three young second-grade girls in a middle-class neighborhood in Queens. A black superintendent arrested for sexually harassing staff members. Not to mention the record number of complaints of the racism that was taught, the misrepresentation of facts that were taught in schools and the schools in these districts. And I'm not talking about a poor area. I'm talking about an area where the median house runs four to $500,000 and where people have jobs and many of them middle-class government jobs where they get not only salaries but full pensions. you got to ask yourself, what is going on in the education system? Because these kids are failing. Many of the people that are teaching them are unqualified to teach, but they remain there because of an evaluation system that is not fair to all. Now we have the black mayor saying, that there's going to be equity education. What happened to merit? Do these black parents want their children in schools where they see failing grades in math and English constantly, where there's bullying, headlining 5 o'clock and 11 o'clock news stories? And it's not just the schools. They see the quality of life, the price of things. They see crime on their streets. And they see the breakdown of their families and the lack of faith in their homes. And they're looking to move. But you know what the problem is? They're looking to move into Republican states. And they're looking to bring their craziness with them. So if they're not happy in a state like New York, Don't take it to a state where many people like myself, common sense voters, hardworking, taxpaying, middle-class people with families and neighborhoods that they've respected for years have to move to run away from the craziness of what is going on. Black History Month should be about pride. Of success, not continuing to talk about failures of the past, because let's face it, in every major industry, there is black representation and black leadership, and it should be with pride, the same way that I have Jewish pride, and Asians have Asian pride, and Hispanics have Hispanic pride. Instead of encouraging illegal immigrants coming into their communities and taking away their ability to have a better quality of life, they should be standing up for their own communities and saying enough is enough. We need more conservative voices in the black community. And I don't mean conservative as in Republican I meet common-sense people that are willing to take a chance and stand up at school boards and start to ask questions. Because today, you're going to meet three Jewish activists. And I'm not talking activists about yeshivas or religious schools. I'm talking about people that are looking for quality education in private, public, and homeschooling situations. And I consider myself one of them. Because I didn't just talk the talk. I actually took action as a minority Jewish teacher in a school that was practically all black and where blacks were afraid to stand up for each other. I actually stood up for them because I know that they deserve better than what they're getting right now. So sit back and stay tuned. You're going to meet parents from all over the country, activists, and you're going to learn about education, ideas to fight back. Welcome back to this very important episode of Education and Parents and Advocates Volunteers Fighting Back for Your Children, for Your Schools, for Your Quality Teachers, and for the future of America and the world. Joining us now is Jared Weisfeld. Jared started his career as a production assistant at VH1. And worked his way up to the CEO of Objective Entertainment. And he represents over 250 authors. And you're probably asking, why would he be on a show like this? Because Javid saw something in a local school. And he decided to volunteer his time and efforts in making schools safer. So Javid, welcome to the show. And first of all, we all want to thank you for standing up and supporting safety in our schools. Tell us exactly what happened that made you decide to step out of your CEO position and become a volunteer activist for safety in schools.
2: So I saw that the schools in our town um, were grossly uh, understaffed. And besides, it it was blatant incompetence. So I saw what was going on in the school and I said, you know, somebody's really really going to get hurt here. So it just so happens that an incident occurred where a child brought a box cutter to school. Later on that day the child was still in school, started jabbing a girl with a pencil, writing instrument. Then that child decided to write on a piece of paper, not after another student said, "Hey man, we just please leave her alone." The child wrote on a piece of paper, killed this child, killed that child put it in the children's faces. And then, you know, one of the kids said the next day that, you know, told his parents that night that, you know, something had happened, he told her parents something had happened. They called the school, the school, you know, notified the police about the box cutter. But interesting enough, like the kid was still in school. So that evening, you know, went about my, my, uh, my sons came home, they said, Hey, some kid had a knife in school, it was like a rumor going around the school, nobody really knew what what they were talking about. And then on Friday, you know, the kids' parents get a phone call, random phone call. um, uh, And it was like, Hey, something happened with your child at school. Now what they didn't do was the child that said, Hey, um, will you please leave her alone? They didn't notify that parent at all. So every parent was notified except for the parent whose child stood up for the other, the other child. So It was really, really confusing for that parent. And so they had to reach out to the school to find out that indeed their kid was on a kill list and simultaneously um, that a kid did indeed bring a weapon to school. So I've just been fighting for those parents and all the parents in the school because I feel like every parent that has a child in that school should have known what had happened that day because it's their rights to decide whether or not they feel as though their children are safe in school. And when they're not given that rights, that goes against everything we stand for as a country. The only people, as I always say, that have the ability to make decisions for their own children are those parents. And once that's taken out of their hands, then as far as I'm concerned, they don't have their parental rights. And that's well, something you know, that I don't believe, but it's I don't believe in. It's not just parents. Rights.
0: I'm going to correct you. <clears throat> it's every taxpayer in that area and in that state because taxpayer dollars, whether you have 10 kids in a school or no kids in a school, whether you're 20 years old or 90 years old, is paying the taxes for schools in those areas, especially public schools like the one you described. So it's not just parents. And that's a very important uh, fact that most people do not discuss enough, and especially in the year of local elections, should be aware of. Now, you took it as... I'm sorry. You're a hundred
2: percent. You're a hundred percent right. And I, and I, uh, I let the school know, which is the truth is that I pay about $24,000 a year in taxes where I live, supposed to be a really great school district. And the money that the school pays to the Berkeley Heights police department for the SRO officer is $25,000 a year. So here I am one taxpayer in my town literally paying almost the entire bill of one SRO officer, the only SRO officer in the entire district. Basically, my taxes are paying for it. And that's insane to me.
0: That is amazing. And that, you know, that number and researched it is unbelievable. So you took the next steps. You went to uh, find out information. You went to school board meetings. And basically, not only did you do you know, what typical parents do and go to a meeting and maybe even speak out, you actually offered to donate a pilot program with safety issues involved so that this incident would never happen again. And what happened to you when you offered this program?
2: So I, I spoke out at a, at a board meeting. I told them what the, what the school district wouldn't, what exactly happened that day. And um, I never mentioned that it was a, a box cutter. I just said it was a weapon. Um, and the school, the superintendent next day said that I was, um, I was erroneous and that it wasn't a weapon that was brought to school, but it was a very inappropriate item to have brought to school, right? The item was a box cutter. We all know that a box cutter was responsible for nine 11. So I also offered way before that, I offered, um, an app that would literally, um, make it, uh, easy, smart. It's called safer, safer watch. Um, and what it does is it's in over 2,500 schools. There's a little button. If there's an emergency, you push the button. Gives police real-time intelligence. Uh, If there's a a teacher or student that has a seizure, you push a button. Go straight to the EMS, right? There's a see something, say something button on it. Um, It's got everything you could possibly want. And they said I was not being equitable because it was only available in one school and not all six. And I tried to explain to them the whole point of a pilot program. Was that you would try it out. And if it worked, you would roll it out. I even said to them that if you guys think that this program is so successful that you still can't find the money and it was going to be, let's say, uh, it was going to be date make the school like less safe. I would fund it for an additional two years until you guys get your act together. Now, I mean, I thought I couldn't have been any more generous, but clearly they thought I was, I, I wasn't being generous. Or because it wasn't to all six schools, which I you know, found to be rather insulting. So, you know, it is what it is, but you try and do everything you can. And to make things worse, the superintendent was so outraged that she decided to take my personal emails and leak them to the local reporter at the, at the paper. So at the next board meeting when I went to speak, um, they wouldn't let me get what I had to say out.
0: So tell us what happened with the superintendent and how they took... Uh, retaliation against you?
2: So the superintendent took my emails and leaked them to the local um, reporter, unredacted. She actually went out of her way to say where my children um, attend school, uh, what school they attend. Um, also, created an email that I never sent. Um, all, and, and by the way, um, the craziest part about the whole thing is the emails that she sent support my exact claims of why security is grossly understaffed at the school. So there was nothing in there that I said that was wrong. In fact, the superintendent was literally proving my point. And uh and I have those emails and it, it it is what it is. And now the school, my point to the school is, hey, listen, you know, you prove that you have some I proved here and everybody else knows that there's somebody that is, you know, in my opinion, incompetent as your superintendent. Where's the accountability? If she's capable of leaking my emails to the media to prove that she's right and I'm wrong. When and she's putting knows. now
0: you in danger as well. You an adult in danger.
2: Yeah. Well, what a lot of people don't know, and I'll, I'll share it with you, is my history of my past, of my first job, um, literally besides being a production assistant at VH1, was being the manager of a famous rapper, Old Dirty Bastard. Um, and I was his manager. And at the age of 23, unfortunately, I had a full-time 24-7 bodyguard for safety concerns. And now flip forward, you know, I moved to the suburbs uh, and now, you know, somebody put my family in danger for no reason. Like, You don't have to say where my kids go to school. I'm out here trying to protect every single student, administrator, teacher, everybody, even her from, from school violence. And here I am. Uh, I'm being thrown under the bus, which is fine. I can take it. Just leave my kids and, and my wife out of it. Right. This is my fight. Um, and I'm more than willing to have it with you. Um, just safety comes first. For example, like the, the superintendent literally put out an email um, a couple of weeks ago saying what schools have SLEO 3 officers, which are retired police officers, and which schools don't. So she's basically telling people, hey, these schools are covered, but these schools aren't. Like who in their right mind would send that out to an entire student body? That's somebody that doesn't take school security very seriously.
0: And where is this, you know, what school safety is tied to local police uh uh precincts where are the precincts where are the local security what are they doing did you get an order of protection against you for this
2: no i i I actually didn't i didn't seek one but the the police department in our town literally is the only ones that are keeping these kids safe so they go out of their way so in our town you can't just police officers can't just go into a school they have to be um invited. It's a home rule state. So these police officers train like Navy SEALs, and they want nothing more than to, pr- to protect the children. But you know what happens. Like if an incident happens in school and the police can't be there because they're not allowed to be, well, who does the district blame? The police. So um, and we the, have and a
0: – And it's, uh, let's face it. The teachers, the administrators, they don't report most of the things that go on that they're supposed to by contract. Because, yeah, because it affects yeah. their jobs if and their ratings. If they don't have a good quality review, they don't get uh, to keep their job and they don't get state money.
2: So the story that I was telling you about when the kid, um, you know, the kid's parents found out from, you know, the child and then they contacted the school. The school didn't do anything for them. In fact, they called the, they called the child, uh, insinuated the child wasn't telling the truth. And all the parents wanted, believe it or not, was for that other child to be removed from the class. And the school refused to do it. They said they'd move the other kids, that child, but not the other kid's child. They said, no way. And so the police, out of all of it, the police are the only ones that contacted those parents and said, hey, bring your kids in. We want to have a talk with them. And so the parents brought the kids in and the police spent an hour with them, telling them all the things that they would do to keep them safe. It was the police that, you know, in their hearts went out of their way and the school did nothing. That just tells you something. When you have People that are in the, like, they just care about children. And you wish the school cared an eighth amount of, about the children. As as the police do, the ones that get, you know, the, the ones that people can't stand are the ones that literally are the only ones that could protect our children. And they want to. Let them and do then, their job.
0: And we're going to close on this because we're running out of time. We will have you back. Of course, we want updates on this. Uh, but this is not a political issue. In this entire discussion, we didn't discuss Democrat or Republican This is a universal issue, a nonpartisan issue that needs bipartisan support and people, you better wake up because, okay, obviously Jared has the uh, business experience for leadership and the financial backings around him or knows how to raise funds to do this. But 99% of my listeners and followers don't tell people where they could reach out to you and that we can work together because this is something you're in New Jersey, but this is a 50 state problem, suburban, urban, rural, you name it. Tell us where they can reach you. And we are going to follow this up and get more parents involved.
2: So you can reach me at LinkedIn, Jared Weisfeld. You can go on com. My email's up there. Um, I self fund <clears throat> all this stuff, but what I, what I just did um, is I just donated a a program to my entire uh, entire town, where they now have the ability to learn everything they want um, about school security through a college class, um, and everybody in my town has the access to it. It'll roll out this week, and if the school district's not going to teach about school safety, I sure as hell will. And so now that We're going to help you. Week.
0: I want you to no. know you have a partner with the U.S.
2: Patriot. Thank you so much for everything you've done.
0: Jared Weisfeld, thank you so much for being a part of the show, for speaking up, and for worrying about the safety of all children, all community members around a school, and all staff members that are at a school. Because a big part of a community is a school building, the people inside and outside. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Welcome back to our very important education episode. Joining us now is somebody, you probably recognize her face because she's been all over major media outlets, TV, radio, print. Uh, She is a very successful model, a best-selling author, and she has decided to fight anti-Semitism using her voice and her efforts in a very positive way, and she's going to tell us how she started a brand new program called Educate Kanye. Elizabeth Pipko, thank you for joining the Jewess Patriot, another Jewess Patriot.
1: Hi, Cindy. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm excited to be here with you.
0: Well, we know each other many years. Uh, We've actually been in several places around the country, and you and I both hear all the time from people students, parents, staff members, what's going on in education and as Jews about what is being taught in our schools. So tell us about the project you started recently.
1: Yeah, thank you. So I started, it's actually called the Less People Forget Project. Um, We bought the domains educatekanye and educateye.com. So it is accessible that way as well. I thought that would resonate pretty nicely with uh, young people, especially now. Um, I think I started for a lot of reasons. I think what mainly got me inspired to kind of get involved and start something was a conversation I had in the fall with a few teenage girls. They were about 15, 16 years old. So about 10 years younger than me, but still I assumed would be old enough to kind of know, let's say certain things about our history. And I was very shocked to learn that they had not heard of the Holocaust. Only one of them told me she knew what the Holocaust was, Um, That night I went and looked up some stats because there's, you know, obviously amazing people doing surveys and looking up these statistics to see what what is the issue and like how bad this problem actually is in our country. I saw that I believe one in 10, um, I think, millennial and Gen Z um, young people do not believe they've ever heard of the Holocaust. I believe it was 50 percent of those asked that said they did not know that more than two million Jews were murdered. Um, I don't even remember the stat, but most of them could not name a single concentration camp. So clearly there's a big issue here, and my conversation proved that to me. But looking up, the statistics actually scared me even more. So I realized something had to be done. I don't know if Kanye is completely to blame for this issue, but obviously him coming out, saying what he did, saying the things he said about the Holocaust, saying that he loved Hitler, uh, were pretty scary things to hear, and then realizing that his reach On social media alone, I think it's close to 30 million people, most of which, as you know, are probably young people. Um, I thought it was kind of time to just innovate, create something that others aren't creating, give young people a voice and a chance to stand up, have the knowledge that they need and the knowledge that they're obviously not learning in school so they could fight to preserve our history and at least share it with those around them that might not know it, but be super interested to learn about it, hopefully, and even more interested to fight to preserve it.
0: When you say that, I will tell you that I know there are many Jewish students today that are not uh, well no you know, do not have the facts about the Holocaust. And because of the curriculum with the CRT and the bias through various teachers unions and, and teachers who don't know about the Holocaust, they're getting wrong information about what happened during World War Two. And that's even scarier to think that Jews are misrepresenting the Holocaust in their discussions.
1: Right. I think it's a weird combination of a lack of proper education in schools and the fact that, you know, media and social media has become such a big part of young people's lives. I did not know about these apps when I was younger. Obviously, I don't think they really existed until I was a teenager. But knowing that 10, 11, 12 year old kids kind of get most of their knowledge and information these days on social media, where Almost nothing is regulated. There's so many things that I receive daily from swastikas to hate messages to anything else in between. There's so many, um, I want to say, misrepresentations of our history on there. There's Holocaust denial, anti Semitism. It's all blatantly there, it's not hidden. And the fact that young people can see it um, and not really understand that it's false when they look at it, I think that's a problem as well. So the combination of not really having proper education in schools, but also having social media and all the media around them just thrown in their face daily with no regulation whatsoever is also a really, really big problem.
0: And actually teachers in professional developments are not being taught facts to teach. So how do we expect our children to learn in schools when the books that they're given, the assignments they are given, and the teachers that are teaching it aren't familiar with it? You are the best-selling author of a book, finding my place. And you were not born in this state. You were actually in, in, I'm sorry, in this country. You actually come from another country that the Holocaust was a big part of. Tell our audience a little bit about your background.
1: Thank you. Um, No, I actually was born in the U.S. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a sorry. first generation. No, you're good. I'm a first generation American. I'm the first girl in my family to be born here. Um, I believe my cousin is like the first boy. So my parents came when um, they were pretty young to this country but being first generation obviously like those stories those memories like everything kind of stays with you everything I learned growing up was from my parents and grandparents um, and the reason that they escaped from the former Soviet Union so that I could be here and I could be raised as a free American and a proud Jew something neither of them were allowed to do back in the Soviet Union um, things have obviously changed in the world enough that people live very comfortable lives especially here in the U.S. but I think As great as that can be, it's also kind of an issue because people almost don't realize just how bad things were a very short time ago and even how bad they still are in parts of our world. I think that lack of knowledge and the very comfortable life that many lead in the U.S. is almost a problem because people are spoiled and they don't understand what people went through to escape and to come here, what people went through as Jews just less than one generation ago. We still have Holocaust survivors, as you know, thank God, on this earth today. And I think people don't really realize, maybe because the tragedy was so atrocious, but I think a lot of people don't realize how real it was, how serious it was, how recent it was, and that unfortunately it's possible that it could happen again in our lifetimes if we don't remember this history and we don't fight to preserve that history and make sure it never happens again.
0: What has the response been from the non-Jewish community? the project.
1: They've been very supportive. Um, One of the ways that people can get involved is actually submitting their stories, their documents, photos, whatever they have, because that's what we want is to share stories. Um, Originally, I assumed that I would get more um, stories from Jews, either Holocaust survivors or families of those that were in the camps. I actually got a lot of people reaching out to me, sharing their stories from either parents or grandparents or whoever it was in their family that shielded Jews during the war. I thought that was really special So many people wanted to share that part because they were so proud of that part of their family and their heritage, which was really amazing to see. And it was nice to know that people that aren't Jewish obviously care to not only preserve this history, but fight anti-Semitism and fight Holocaust denial and kind of stand alongside us um, as we take on a lot of the hate that we're seeing right now.
0: Well, we have a few people who have been guests on the show, who are public figures, who I'm going to share with you their stories, because it's exactly what you discussed People don't discuss the heroes of World War II, and we must remember them because we are gonna. The way the world is today, we're gonna need people like this again. You are a, you are a successful model. So tell us a little bit what it's like to be an education activist and a model.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's it's interesting. I feel like I've always just had a little part in a lot of different industries, which is great for me because I'm trying to be as well rounded as I can be. Um, I think in general, people get confused that someone could, you know, be on a magazine one day and then in graduate school the next day or on TV talking about a project the next day or even in shul that weekend. You know, people are a little confused by all the things that I do, but I think it's really special. And I think I've been very lucky to meet a lot of amazing people in all the different industries I've been a part of and to learn from them. And I think because I've been in the modeling industry and so many other different kind of aspects of our world, it's given me a better understanding of some of the issues that we see, some of the issues we see with young people, and a lot of the issues that we see, especially in our media, which unfortunately is where most young people get their information.
0: What is um, the response, if you've had any, from Kanye West or people around him?
1: I did not have any response from Kanye West. I do not assume there will be, though, as you know, he can very easily find um, our platform uh, with educatekanye.com. I'm sure he can look. and. You know, My goal was to have something very simple, have it be that the technology behind it was complicated, but the way to actually access it and learn about the information, see physical letters from the Holocaust was very easy and very quick. So a young person, wherever they are, if they can't make it to a Holocaust museum, for example, they can go on lesspeopleforget.com and see actual physical letters from the camps. And I think that would do enough to kind of explain to someone very quickly how serious this was, how real it was, how horrible it was. And I would hope that if Kanye had five minutes, he would visit it as well and hopefully get quite the lesson that might even change his mind.
0: What do you say to people that um, look at you, a beautiful young girl, and you are in school. So I would assume that a lot of students reach out to you because they could relate to you. Uh, Tell us your experiences with other students around the country.
1: Yeah, I get messages I think daily at this point. Um, it's a very hard time. I don't wanna say for Holocaust denial, I don't think that has reached mainstream and I hope to God it will never reach mainstream. But anti-Semitism is very prevalent, especially on college campuses. I don't think people actually know how bad it is. Um I'm from New York City, so I've spent much of my life in Manhattan, Brooklyn, um, Queens, just kind of surrounded by Jewish communities that me or my family members were a part of, so I never really witnessed anti-Semitism growing up or knew how serious it can be. So knowing that my friends who go to Columbia or NYU or any of these New York City schools can message me and tell me the atrocities, honestly, that they're seeing on college campuses is really, really sad. And it's confusing because I don't understand where it's come from and how it happened so quickly. um, When I was looking for grad schools and deciding where I was going to go, I spoke to different, you know, alums from different schools who I always ask, like, how bad is the anti-Semitism? And Regularly, people were telling me that they would either avoid going outside on random days because they were anti-Israel protests. Um, people would avoid wearing T-shirts that had Magin David or Star of David on them or anything to do with Israel because they were afraid. Um, it's it's a very sad time. It's especially terrifying for me, knowing my you know parents and especially my grandparents kind of raised me on these warnings from where they came from and telling me that it can't happen. And it's very real. And my naive self kind of assuming that it couldn't because all I knew was United States and New York City and it's real. It's here and it's real and it's now because a lot of people my age and even younger are being terrorized daily for their views.
0: So I'm going to ask you a couple of quick questions with like one or two word answers. Okay. Do you tell people to wear a Jewish star?
1: Always, yes.
0: Do you tell boys to wear yarmulkes? Always, yeah. Uh, should children, um, should students and college campuses join Hillels?
1: Yes, 100 percent and your local Chabad if you can.
0: Uh, what do you uh, promote when you say con you know, you talk about Kanye? Are there other names that we should be aware of that are on social media and watch their followers how they treat uh Jews, the Holocaust, and anti Semitism?
1: Um. I've heard some things from Sean King that I didn't appreciate. I would just say, watch when you're on social media, watch absolutely everything and Google something before you choose to believe it.
0: Elizabeth Pipko, tell everybody where they can reach out to you again, the project. And of course you are always welcome back as a Jewess Patriot on the show, anytime with any updates and important information.
1: Thank you so much. You can find me just at Elizabeth Pipko on, I think every social media network that there is and you can sign uh, you can find the project at lesspeopleforget.com or educatekanye.com.
0: Thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you. Welcome back to the U.S. Patriot. Again, this is the education special, and I'm introducing you to Jewish activists who are working on your behalf in public schools. The next one was a candidate for Arizona superintendent, Sherry Saper. Uh, she's been on the show before. Welcome back.
3: Hi, Cindy. Thank you so much for having me.
0: <laughs> Just because... Arizona did not have the results we wanted. doesn't mean you stopped fighting for education for all. Tell us what you have been doing lately in the world of education advocacy. Absolutely. Yes. Uh,
3: last year we passed the biggest expansion in school choice in the entire country here in Arizona, passing um, empowerment <clears throat> scholarship accounts to all. That really Uh, was one of the biggest wins we could have asked for in the state. Uh, The new governor, who is a Democrat, is um, vouching to do everything she can to dismantle that program. And so um, we're kind of on life support right now. If the legislature turns Democrat in a couple of years, uh, it might be a huge problem. But for now, we're okay. And that is the time to get everybody enrolled, because if the program is going to be that expended and... 100,000 or 150,000 kids are on it, it's going to be a lot of difficult to
0: uh, make away with. So that's what we're working on. You know, it wasn't too long ago that I remember Jim Brewer and Sheriff Apeo and all these very strong Republicans. And even the fact that you had, uh, whether or not you liked him or not, John McCain was a Republican. What happened to Arizona that our true Republican base has changed and it's now a such a purple state.
3: Well, I gotta be honest with you. I don't believe we are a purple state. I have campaigned for 18 months all throughout the state. And, and, uh, especially with the topic of education, we brought in a lot of independents. We're a third, third, third in this state. Okay. So a third Republicans, a third Democrats and a third independents, And, um, People were rallying behind us on, especially on education, school choice, and the likes. So we're not as purple. You know, sometimes they dictate the narrative through the media and other aspects of our lives. And then we we believe that what we see matches the narrative, where the narrative is completely opposite from what's really happening. And um, it just kind of helps us to maybe accept the results of the elections, which a lot of us don't. Um, Carrie Lake, who was running for governor, is still fighting in the courts. Uh, It is extremely difficult to believe that uh, Katie Hoffs, who who won, really uh, received more votes than Kara Lake, who is liked by so many and was such a key persona in the state for years prior to her running, uh, especially with Democrats, because she used to be a Democrat too. So so that's to be determined. So to the extent that elections are not real, then this is your answer. Um, But that, you know, people can tap into the conspiracy theory. With that aspect, so uh, we're just going to leave it to that and hope that the courts will,
0: will will prevail the truth. Being a border state and having so many uh, illegal immigrants crossing the border, coming to Arizona, what is the biggest concern of taxpaying uh, Arizonians in regard to schools? Is it curriculum, safety, uh, money spent in their budgets? teachers' unions? What would you say would be maybe the top two issues? Well,
3: a couple of problems as far as um, those people coming through, they still receive education. So two things happening. Number one, these people are not paying into the tax pool yet they are receiving taxpayers' benefits in the way of uh, enrolling into public schools and actually um, not paying a dime into that. The second problem that we see is that a lot of them are not speaking English. And so they're dumping them into our classrooms, and it causes the kids, our American kids, regardless if they're Hispanic or whatever they may be, not to be able to thrive because now the teacher in a 35 or uh, 40-student classroom needs to attend to these kids who don't speak a word of English, and that creates a huge problem. I think that's part of why the testing shows that Arizona is 49th in the nation or something, uh, a large part of it is because of the non-English speakers that are so uh, such a big population, and it causes the the, the school performance to, uh, to to be lower.
0: Tell us a little bit about what is going on with Jewish education, with like Holocaust education, teaching of the Holocaust, um, teaching of the state of Israel and Zionism. What is going on in Arizona?
3: We passed a couple of laws even as recent as last year, um, you know, emphasizing the the need to teach the Holocaust. But I can tell you if you ask any average uh, teenage in Arizona and probably around the country, any information about the Holocaust or the Second World War, uh, their, their knowledge is zero to none. They really have no idea. And the more years pass, the less and less they know. Uh, Couple with the equity issues that we have and a lot of the movement of the Black Lives Matter, uh, the Islamic Brotherhood and all of that, the, against Israel in the campuses from academia, you know, um, secondary education, all the way down to kindergarten these days. Uh, there's a lot of, of, um, I would say, the... I don't want to say a push but I almost want to say there is a little bit of a push to to portray Israel as the enemy as the villain here and have more sympathy towards the palestinians and when that when you bring that in in the forcefulness that they are able to because of the money that they have and the and the people that are philosophically aligned in the education system with those concepts uh you're going to find students that are unaware of what happened in the holocaust and uh, become more and more of, of of deniers of what happened and it's uh, you can see actually the studies are now showing that um, the sentiment against Israel has gone from about 20 percent in the 80s to about 70 or, or above percent now among the youth in the schools so that tells you uh, that the story is not the storyline is not looking good for uh, for Jewish people and sadly a lot of them in this country don't understand that.
0: I know because I speak to a lot of people from your state. They've supported you. In fact, I heard about you from somebody from another state who heard about you. So your name was act out there as an education activist. What do you plan to do with all the work you've put in so far and all the knowledge you have as far as working towards 2023 and 2024? And what do you advise our listeners, our followers, those that are going to view us, to talk about and do with their friends and neighbors to get involved in their schools?
3: Well, the main concern that we should all be uh, putting our efforts into is the school boards. I know we've heard that time and time again in the last couple of years, but honestly, and and especially now when I see that we have a Democrat as a governor, uh, she's going to be able to appoint in the State Board of Education, so all the Republicans that are there now because of our previous governor will change. So here we lost the State Board of Education. The Department of Education is now held by a superintendent who is a Republican. So that kind of helped us out a little bit. But what can we really do is centered in the school boards, because the school boards ultimately are the ones who are spending the money, passing the budget, uh, hiring, and making decisions on curriculum and policies. So we've put in about... 35 new school board candidates uh, in the state that are conservatives that flipped a few of them and completely changed the atmosphere and the environment in that district almost immediately it's really unbelievable to watch so if your listeners wherever they are in this country and it doesn't matter if they're in a blue state i really encourage people to try to take on that fight in the school board run for office a lot of the times you know, the Democrats had it because the Republicans never ran because it's a, it's a nonpartisan position. Um, they just didn't, and they have overtaken most of the school boards in this country. And if we are able to flip those school boards and get a three to two majority, uh, in, in a lot of them, suddenly, uh, they can, these people can have much better policies. They can adopt better curriculum. They can eliminate because you can't legislate culture right? It doesn't matter how many laws you put in place. The enforcement of the law comes from the attorney generals, the governor's office. If they're not interested in enforcing the laws, it's a mute point. So what can you do? You need to make sure that the decision makers are aligned with what we're trying to align. And at the same time, forcefully fight for school choice, because honestly, I don't see any other solution other than school choice uh, to allow uh, these kids to free themselves from the indoctrination camps that a lot of them are finding themselves and the lack of opportunity and the overall mediocrity and failure that the public schools uh, perpetrated on our kids for no good reason. at very high dollar uh, amount, by the way, we're spending a lot more money in the public school than we do in some of the private schools and the charter schools. And um, and again, there's no there's no correlation between money spent and learning outcomes for these kids, the same people who stood by the doors of those public schools 60 years ago telling blacks and minorities, you cannot go in. They're the same people right now that are standing by those doors and telling them you cannot
0: go out. And that is the fight that every citizen should take on. That is the most powerful statement I've heard in ages. I want you to repeat that again. 60 years ago, the the people that kept the blacks and minorities out of the schools are now the people that are keeping them stuck in the schools. That is yes. the brilliant tagline that you should be using all over the country. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yes, we're using uh, it. It's because it's true. Let me ask you, how are parents being treated in Arizona at school board meetings? Oh, we had some, especially
3: over the mask and all that uh, commotion back in the COVID days. It was brutal all the way down to arrests i mean it was really not pretty and um they, they will tell you i mean they will tell you flat in your face that they don't believe your children belong to you they tell our children and the and the underlying message is you and us can get alliance together against your parents when they are against you especially when it comes to transgenderism Uh, which is the fact that I've been taking down in the legislature. Even last week, we were um, testifying on pronoun, right? We're trying to pass a legislation here in Arizona to not ask or demand teachers ask the pronoun of a child. And it's unbelievable that we even have to pass a bill about this. But just so you know, in most schools, they have lists with the real name of the child and the name that they prefer to be called and the pronoun and another checklist whether the parents know or do not know. This is a clear violation of the Parents' Bill of Rights in Arizona and I'm sure in other states as well. And if you think that when you drop off your child, these people have the best interest at heart, you are wrong. You have to assume different and act as if you're giving your children to somebody who really does believe that if your child, and I, I had this conversation with educators and Democrat legislatures alike. They do believe that if your child is pregnant and is afraid, quote unquote, to tell you because of how mad you may be or the consequences, they can take it upon themselves to take them to um a Planned Parenthood and take care of your abortion with monies from all the you know different nonprofits organizations that are out there you know, it's incentivizing people to go through abortion. So this is the the real story that's happening in this country, and people need to wake up to this. Every room that I've been to in Arizona throughout my campaign, people came to me and said, Sherry, we send our kids to the schools, we send them to the universities, and they stop talking to us. That sentiment is
0: clearly happening in schools. So I have to tell you, we can go on and on with this. You gave us so much information. Obviously, you're taking this not just statewide in Arizona, but nationally. Where can our audience uh, reach out to you and work with you? Because, you know, we've tried and in many places we are just losing the battle the teachers' unions endorse candidates with a lot of money, and we can't fight it. So, the only way is we're going to have to build our grassroots. Where can they reach out to you?
3: My website is com. S H I R Y S A P I R, com. There's a lot of information, there's a lot of books from around the country um exposing indoctrination so you can go on there and see Uh, uploading information from your schools uh, that you deem uh, dangerous to the children so we can get people to see more and more of the picture Um, and then stay in touch because this is a countrywide battle this is not specific to the states this is if we don't take back education uh we lost this country. I think this is something that we repeatedly say these days and it's almost to the point of exhaustion. But honestly, if these kids are not being put on a different direction, these are the voters for tomorrow. You know, uh Abraham Lincoln said the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation is the philosophy of the government in the next. We have to understand that whatever is happening in our schools will happen in our
0: government and it already has. So Let's fight. Let's fight together. Again, Sherry Sapir, thank you so much for joining us, for being a Jewish patriot, for being an American patriot, an education patriot, and a true warrior because education is a nonpartisan issue that needs bipartisan support. Thank you. There was so much information given tonight, but before we close, I'm asking for your help. You can reach out to me via Real Talk Radio or directly on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and through any of my columns. As many of you are aware, the House Judiciary Committee subpoenaed the Attorney General, FBI Chief, and the Education Secretary about Targeting parents for exercising their First Amendment rights at school board meetings. Parents are a small part of this. We need teachers like myself and many others who reach out to me to come forward and work together with parents and tax paying dollars that are being spent on this to hurt you. We need people who work in schools who see things like custodians, safety um, guards. We need neighboring school community people, like people who own stores, a postman, anything. After all, this is your future. Education is the most important key to future because it determines how the lies are told of the past, the actions of the present, and if we will have a future. So please, don't just sit back. Join us. We even have attorneys that want to pursue this in class action lawsuits around the country. Nobody wants to sit still. 2023 is the year of the local elections. You notice how the Democrats want to change the primary system to make South Carolina first, thinking they're going to get every black vote. Well, let me tell you something. There are many black parents that don't care about an R or a D. They care about education. There are many black teachers that are afraid to speak out because they'll lose their jobs. But if they see other people do it, they will too. It only takes one. It only takes a dozen. And before you know it, that little group becomes a village, becomes a city, becomes a state, becomes a nation. We're going to continue this talk. We have another show, Totally About Education, coming up next week. Thank you for joining and please follow up and send all your information to us. It will be kept confidential, but you are not alone and you should not be afraid to fight for the future of our children, not to mention the safety of every staff member in a school building. We keep talking about children. We keep forgetting. How all this failure impacts those in the school building and the school neighborhood. This is Cindy Gross, the Jewish Patriot. I look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for watching the Jewish Patriot show with talk radio's premier Jewish activist, Cindy Gross. Be sure to download Cindy's next program as well as previous ones available internationally on iHeartRadio spotify and in israel on jewish podcasts see you next time on the jewish patriot show